if you would, turn over with me to Revelation, starting chapter 2 today. Um, we're going to have a baptism after this, so uh, if the Lord's been kind of pressing and convicting you or uh, just doing an amazing work in you, uh, and you feel like you want to take that next step of water baptism and you want to uh, show and declare before everyone, that's the symbol that the Bible gives us to do so. This is commanded in Scripture um, that we be baptized once we are believers. Uh, we do have an instance in the Scriptures where some had professed uh, a type of works-based uh, um, profession uh, at some point or had believed and been baptized uh, in, in a type of a works-based way. And it wasn't a true baptism where they had true belief, but it was more of a head knowledge to get something, so to speak. So there may be those out there who have lived a very religious life and you took all the steps and you obeyed and you did that one time, but since then your salvation has become real. It's become from the Lord. You've been born again and not just said religious words so uh, you could be baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus Christ today as well if you feel like you've come to true faith since that um, false baptism or false uh, salvation. So that's between you and the Lord. I'll let you decide that. So we do have several today that are being baptized and I'm excited about that. Can't wait uh, to get to that portion of the sermon or the service, the sermon too because it preaches a sermon in and of itself. But until then we're going to be in Revelation chapter 2. We're starting the Letter to the Ephesians today. <clears throat> and up to this point, we have went several weeks now through chapter 1 and kind of took my time going through chapter 1. The book is just so chopped full of, of uh, divine revelation and information. There's so much historical context to the book. It's so hard to get it all in and feel like we can make progress. And I, 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 I'm sure that if someone was teaching this at a seminary level or a university level class, that this could really get technical. I'm telling you, some of the study that I've done and some of the research that I've done, it gets so technical at times. But And, and that's important. That's, that's good because it shows us just exactly where the author is coming from. Because, I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I try to read and study the scriptures. I've read the Old Testament. I've, I've, I've studied the Old Testament. But I'm far from being where this guy's audience, from where John's audience was. I mean, they would have heard this day in, day out. It was their culture, like uh, America is, is my culture, and, and now I'm having to fight against that culture and, and, and really start to understand that this is anti-biblical culture, and we have, to, we have to redeem the times. Well, they would have understood all of these Old Testament references and allusions. They would have understood them right off the bat. Now, what those Old Testament allusions were about and what those Old Testament stories uh, really meant and the significance of those, not sure how much of that they meant, but all of these would have perfectly made sense in their minds. And when John makes application out of the Old Testament, they, they would have knew exactly what he was talking about. So some of that can get rather technical. Some of that can get very deep. If your understanding of the Old Testament is lacking at all, then we really struggle with Revelation. And I do believe, uh, and I've said this before, that this is part and parcel of why Revelation is such a, a misunderstood book. We see people doing things with Revelation that they would never do with another type of book. They don't consider genre. They don't consider uh, context. They don't consider immediate or historical context. They don't consider what the author actually meant when he read the book or how he meant for it to be understood. They just go off on this tirade and they just read all kind of stuff into the text, not understanding that there was a context, there was a culture, there was a way that the author intended the book to be read and the way that the author intended the book to be understood. So with all of that kind of 
reaffirming what we've already talked about. Uh, Chapter 1 is very important in understanding chapters 2 and 3 and then the rest of the book as well. Uh, If you want to look at this book of Revelation and kind of split it up a little bit, there's all kind of different ways and different people do it different ways and it can get very specific and very drawn out. But the book of Revelation is broke down at least into four uh, sections. There's chapter 1, which is kind of like the prologue or the the, the beginning uh, initial information given, revelation given, vision given to to speak to us and and help us how to understand the rest of the book. Then there's 2 and 3, which is the the, the, the letters to the specific churches themselves, which are to be understood by the information that we get in chapter 1 and by the information that we get in chapters 4 through 21. And then there's the final part of the book, which is chapter 21, verse 8, through the rest of the book, which is the, the benediction or the end, and it's the, uh, the glorious uh, conclusion to all that God's going to do. So we can see this broke down in this way, and we can start to understand just what he's writing in Revelation. We can understand what the author meant to say and how that applies to us and how we should change our lives accordingly. Now, a lot of us, we don't have this type of understanding of the Word of God. We think that it's just a book that we read, ah, that's good, and let's go on about our business. But the Word of God is living and active, and it should be living and active in your life. When you read the Bible or when the man of God preaches the Bible, do you take that information, let it come through your mind, into your heart, and affect your hands? Or do you just, oh, that was good, the dude was funny today, or, man, he sucked today, or whatever it might be, and just you just want going about your business, and that's that. Sorry, I shouldn't have said that word. He stunk today, okay? All right. So he wasn't very good today. You put it on me as if I need to perform for you. Well, the only thing that you should judge me by is whether I handle the word of God accurately or not. Whether or not I'm funny, that's besides the point. Whether or not I'm uh, uh, dramatic or, you know, I use my hands properly or I, I have my pauses in the right place. That's besides the point. Now, I do believe that there are different giftings and that can work to God's advantage. He can use those things. But God absolutely does not need any of that stuff. And as a matter of fact, he may just uh, cause me to stumble in my fleshly gifts so that the word would be highlighted and so that you might know that it wasn't me at all. We might get confused if one day I come in here and I was incredibly funny and just drawing and you were like, oh man, this changed my life. Well, what changed your life? The fact that the guy was on fire or the fact that he was biblically accurate? Because I'm going to go ahead and tell you right now, there are preachers out there who are absolutely unbiblical, but they've got congregations in the thousands. What is success? And so some of the best sermons that, and I say best, see, we don't even know how to gauge these things. When I say best, I mean most productive and most beneficial to the people that heard it and to the man that preached it. Not in the ways of the world, but in the ways of the Spirit. The Spirit grows. Conviction happens. There's, there's a, 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 a sifting that goes on. And these type of things, some of the best sermons that I've ever preached at this church, I thought were horrible. And I walked off the stage and my pride inflamed and I thought, that was the worst sermon. Nobody laughed, nobody smiled, nobody cheered, nobody said, amen, I'm a failure. And then I get these messages on Facebook and on uh, uh, text message and they text me and they say, the Lord just, he wrecked me today. And I'm going, that's weird. I was off. Oh! It wasn't me, after all, you see. 
So the reason I went on that whole tirade is that this book right here, we need to understand it, but we need to understand it in such a way that we ask the Lord, what is it that you're writing? What is it that you're meaning for us to understand through the text? And how does this change my life? God, we need to pray. Are you, did you pray before you came in here today that the Lord would wreck you and put you back together the way that you should be put together so that you might be a better man of God or a woman of God? Not that you might walk the walk better, but that you might be changed forevermore in your soul, in your life, that he would chisel and cut off all the bad, and that he would grow you in all the good. We need the word of God to make an impact on our lives and to change us. And this is fitting today, I think, because graduates, you need to understand that going off to college and doing all that, that's great. That's wonderful. But you need to let the word of God have its place inside of you, that seed planted, so that when it grows and bursts forth, that you might affect those people and those people don't have a negative effect on you. You see, John is writing to the churches in order to correct some things in order to encourage them in some ways, in order to rebuke them in some ways. some ways. So when he wrote this book, <clears throat> he was writing it to a congregation that was to understand some things and change some things or grow in some things. So let's read. Uh, the, we're just going to read the whole letter to the Ephesians, and then we'll go back through. We will not get finished with the letter today. If you know me, you just, you just already knew that. So we will, start, we will read the whole book, and then we'll start going through it a little bit at a time and, and see what he has for us. As we do, please, please pray and ask the Lord, Lord, uh, help me to understand uh, the Word of God. Help me to understand what uh, the preacher is saying, and please plant this and write this Word on my heart and let it have its effect in me that I would become more like you, conformed to the image of the Son through the Word of God that we might all reach maturity in Christ. Let's stand for the reading of the Word of God out of reverence and respect. Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you, you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, and do the works that you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you, have, yet this you have, you hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. You may be seated. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. So let's start out here in, in chapter 2, verse 1. And uh, I believe we will have a, a short testimony today of something that's going to, to come out in the text today of, of just exactly what Christ is calling this church to do. So, but, but before we get there, let's start out in, in verse 1. And it says here, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, right. So this is, a, <clears throat> this is a letter that John is commanded by Christ to write to the angel of the church in Ephesus. Now, we went over, and I'm not going to go all the way back through that. I don't have the time. But we went over who the 
angel of the church is. <clears throat> and we said that uh, several authors agree that this is a, uh, it's a twofold understanding of who the angel of the church is. And that is, is that it is, a, some suggest that it's a guardian angel. And, and to tell you the truth, and I was honest about this the last uh, we talked about it, is that I had a really hard time understanding this or grasping this understanding. And I think it's because, one, I had never heard that before. And two, is because my American culture is really starting to shy away from any supernatural understanding of anything, and they want to make everything about naturalistic, physical uh, things that we have to be able to see, hear, feel, touch, and all these types of things. So our society is becoming very naturalistic. Now, it's becoming very pragmatic, and they cannot understand or grasp anything that is supernatural. So angels and demons have, angels and demons have just become uh, fabrications of Hollywood, and they don't really exist. But the text does seem to say, after I uh, started to study and after I started to understand what the Bible teaches about angels and about angels that actually represent uh, the people of God, whether it be the nation of Israel or the church or angels that uh, represent the Lord and and come with information to him and and they help uh, guide people in the way that uh, revelation should be properly understood. So we have the angel Gabriel when uh, Joseph was about to divorce Mary. He comes and says, hey, don't do it. This is the problem proper understanding of the situation. And so as we open up these scriptures and as I read these, I said, okay, I said, I can, I can, I can see that. I can understand that. So we said, we give room for that understanding that uh, there seems to be angels that do watch over us and watch over the church. Michael was the, the archangel that protected Israel and fought for Israel. He was the a guardian angel of Israel, so to speak. You can't get around that fact. And so uh, I uh, said, hey, Lord, if there's a guardian angel watching over the well, praise God. We need all the help we can get. Uh, I hope he's doing a good job uh, because it seems like he can fail. He's not perfect like Christ is because he is receiving uh, commendations and understanding as well that he needs to take to us. But another understanding is, is that an angel really in the scriptures can just be understood as messenger. The problem is context. And when angel is used other places in Revelation, it always refers to a, a heavenly being. So Uh, But we said to the angel of the church, it could uh, very well mean a guardian type angel that delivers revelation, helps the church to understand. Uh, There's a few problems with this. We won't get into the technical aspects of it. But what we say is we leave room for a guardian angel, a supernatural being that is there to help the church understand those things of God that have been revealed and to keep them within the confines of the word and to helpfully and rightfully understand the word of God. Uh, Otherwise, we can say this could very well easily be applied to the pastor or the elder or the representative of that church because it means messenger. The word angel just means messenger many times. And so we understand that whether it's the guardian angel or whether it's the pastor or the elder of that church, this letter is to be written to the one who is helping the church understand the revelation from God. So it applies both ways. So what we see here is it says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write the words of him who holds the seven stars. And we get this understanding of who Christ is. Now, We understand that this letter is to go to the one who is helping uh, the church understand the revelation that God is giving and to help them to understand where they are in life, where they are in the culture, and how they are to sustain and maintain and persevere in the faith even though persecution is coming. 
So we know who John's writing to. He's writing to those who are in the kingdom and in the tribulation and in the patient endurance of Jesus Christ. So all of these things line up that John is writing to those who are going to be enduring tribulation. And the world is going to be against them. He is writing to the church of Ephesus, but he is also writing to you. So many things that we could be said here. I want to point out just a few. One is this. There's so many. One is this, the church. The church. He is writing to a local church. We in America, in the world, we tend to move away from this idea that the local church is important. And especially in Western civilization and Western culture, we have got to this independent, individualistic society that needs no one. And we refuse to be under the authority of anyone. Now, please understand that for me to preach this is kind of awkward because I am your leader. But the Bible says that. You see, I can stand up here and be scared and, and have the fear of man and say, well, I don't want anybody to think I'm being prideful or I don't want anybody to think that I'm trying to be dominant or anything. Look, I don't like saying it any more than you do, but I am the one who leads you. I'm the one who teaches you. I'm the one that God has entrusted, and I will pay for anything that I do wrong, and I will answer for anything. I am not the only one. We believe here at the well in the plurality of elders, so myself and Hambone and Mark are an elder board, and we're equal. We've been praying in, in terms of authority. We are, we've been praying on when and how we should add more elders, and, and if we should add more elders. When's the time to do that? But, but under this authority, you have others that have been placed in authority by those leaders. And this all for your benefit, outlined in the Word of God to how to help you to see who God is and to drive you and help you and lead you toward Him. <clears throat> now what we've got is that we've got a culture that refuses to be subject to the authorities that God has placed over them. So it's almost impossible to have a good biblical church anymore because everybody's always saying, well, it's me, Jesus, and my Bible. It's me, Jesus, and my Bible. And I don't need you to tell me anything. I can understand it all by myself. And while that's, we can say, well, yeah, you do have you. You do have Jesus, and you do have the Bible. And yeah, the Spirit gives understanding. You can read the Word. We also understand that the apostles taught that the church is, is, is built by Christ, and it is built by understanding the word and handing down the understandings through those who would teach us and lead us and guide us, namely elders. The book of Hebrews, uh, First Peter, talk, talks to us about uh, uh, obey your leaders. Don't make their jobs hard. Be submissive to them because they will give an account of everything. They will give an account of you. And so I say that to say this, is that if you are in a church, whether it's this one, and I could preach this message in any church, okay, any biblical church, or this what I'm about to say, I could preach in any church. If you're in this church or any church, and you do not trust your leaders, and you cannot obey them, and you will not submit to them, either, either just leave the church because you're not helping the church and you're going to hurt the church, you need to do something else. Or go to another church where you do respect the leadership, where you can submit to the leadership, and where you believe that they are accurately handling the word of God for the benefit of the Lord number one and the people number two. 
We have to have the local church. Now, why did I spend a little bit of time on that? Because he very specifically says here, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, right, this letter is going to a local expression of the universal church. Local churches are the way that Christ has called us to promote the primary way, to promote the gospel and go out. You say, well, what about missionaries? I believe that the scripture teaches and that we can find in here that all missionaries should be based in a local church. They should be sent out by the local church, they should be governed by the local church, and they should be supported by the local church. We have organizations now that send missionaries, and I'm not, whatever, okay? They're not my responsibility, somebody will have to answer for that, good or bad. But we have organizations that are not churches whatsoever, but they just receive funds just to do missionary work. That, the scriptures clearly teach that the church is the buttress and the pillar of the faith. It is that which we send out. It is the way that God has called it. Now, the church itself needs correction, though, and the leadership needs correction. So this is why I believe that you can't, and here we go again. I, Keith wrote a great book about church leadership and organization and church government. I've been reading that, but I already agreed, and that's how we built the, how we organized this church here. You say, well, is church government, is that really important? I thought that y'all were just about the cool music here at the well. No, as a matter of fact, you need to be biblical. You need to understand how the scriptures teach that a church should be laid out. I'm not trying to call any church out, so I won't call one name of a church. But I've been to many churches where there is one senior pastor who makes all the decisions, and that's just not biblical. You can go tell whoever you want to that I said that. Because that's what's in the Bible. Nowhere in the New Testament can you find one instance where there is one lead pastor and a deacon board. Can't find it. Can't find it. Now, why do I even point that out? It's because it matters. It matters how the church is organized. It matters how the church operates. It matters because a lot of things depend on how closely we revere the word of God and how willing we are to kill our traditions and to kill the things that we've always done it that way in order to be biblical. And when we get biblical, the Lord blesses. Amen? We see that in this letter. He says here, he says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, right, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Now, I've talked about the church and the importance of the local church. You can take it as just the leader of that local church, building up the local church. Go read the words, all I got to say. Number two, I want to point out this. <clears throat> There's a way to understand how this letter is written and how it's broken down. I'll do this kind of quickly because I think you'll grab it pretty quick. So the way that this is written down is that we, let's take it as the well, since it'll be a little bit more uh, impressing on us. So someone writes a letter to the well, and they say, look, uh, this letter is coming from him who, boom, 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 boom. <clears throat> this is the introduction of the letter, okay? It is the introduction that shows who the letter is coming from, and not just who it's coming from. It's not just coming from Mickey, but it's coming from Mickey who and gives attributes of the one who wrote it, okay? In this instance, it's, it's the Lord Jesus Christ, Yahweh, and we'll, I'll show you that in just a second. <clears throat> but here it goes. This is a letter written to the well from so-and-so who has these attributes. Boom, 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 boom. Here's what the letter, the contents of the letter, the body of the letter is. Uh, one, two, three, four, I have uh, that you've done well. Uh, uh, four, five, and six, you're not doing so hot in these areas. So seven, eight, and nine is what you need to do in order to get back to where you need to go. And then a conclusion. 
Okay, now, the reason I say this is, is that the introduction to the letter and who is writing the letter is going to be absolutely significant to how to understand what to do about the body of the letter. So this is how it works. So when he writes a letter to the Ephesians, he says, uh, we'll just use this one, the word of him, I'm going to come back to that because that's significant, but the word of him who, who what? Here's the attributes that he lays out. And the attributes that are going to come in the introduction to each letter, seven letters, is going to reach back to, watch how the word uses the word to understand the word. We're not just to say, oh, this, is, this means this. No, this has been written in the book, so we need to go back and say, well, that meant, oh, we see what that meant. So he says, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Where have we seen that before? Chapter 1, right? Chapter 1, verses 12 through the end of the chapter, we'll say. All of these attributes are in there. So we know here that he is saying something about himself, the one who is writing the letter. And then we go on to understand, <clears throat> I know your works. So whoever this is writing the letter says, I know your works. And he says, your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. So this person who is writing the letter has some attributes that we are to understand from something that's already been written to describe that person and those attributes. And then he writes about good things that we've done and bad things that we've done. What we're going to see in each letter, whether it's to uh, Ephesus or to Smyrna or to Sardis or Laodicea or whoever, uh, Thyatira, what we are to understand is when he gives that opening introduction of who it is writing the letter and the attributes, the attributes of the writer of the letter is going to be the attributes needed to address anything in the body of the letter. So as he writes, he is going to say, I am writing to you the one, in this instance, who holds the stars in his right hand and who walks among the golden lampstands. And then he's going to go through some good things and bad things and some changes that need to happen in order for them to be who he's called them to be. But the fact that he is the one who holds the stars is going to mean that he is the one that can solve their problems because him holding the stars solves the problem. The fact that he is the one walking in the midst of the lampstand is going to be the answer to their problem of losing their first love. He is. See, you see that Christ is the one who is the solution to all of our problems and the foundation to all of our victories. You see, there's a way to read the book. We don't just go in and say, oh, that's cool. There's a way, and it's, and it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And so let's go back. See, see what's happening here right now? And this is all, I don't have any notes here. I just said, Lord, just do it. So what's happening is right here, we're seeing it work out. We're seeing the first part of the letter work out in the second part of the letter. So what's going on here? We're part of a local church. I am the messenger to this church, and I am reading to you the letter and the understanding of the revelation of God so that we might properly understand it in our lives. And if you will apply not what I have said, but what he has written to your lives, he is the one that has the attributes that can turn you into who you should be. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? This means yes, and this means no. This means I'm so lost. I don't think this is too technical. Is it too technical? I don't think so. This is pretty easy to understand. And when you start to, start to get in that, that, that groove of understanding text and understanding Scripture, you'll say, 
I never saw that like that before. Because when we start to read, now this is, a, this is a prophetic genre. This book is meant to be interpreted as prophetic. When we get into genres like uh, the epistles or the gospels or the parables or wisdom literature or historical narrative, whatever it is, we get in that stream and we say, oh, man, wow. You know, this, this means something here. Even how it's written means something. So let me apply that now, since we're going to move from here to uh, some things that is written in the text and how that applies to us. Let me say this. Since this book is prophetically written, then we have, I believe, uh, that we have historical allusions made to present information and revelation that is pertinent to the people that John is writing to. So this is John making reference to Old Testament material and Old Testament truths. He's not changing them, but he's showing us how we take those Old Testament truths or how his audience takes those Old Testament truths and understands how they work out in the end. And so this applies to a church that some of it wasn't written to originally. So when John reaches back and he makes allusions to something that was written in the Old Testament and then applies it to somebody that he's writing to in the New Testament, it's showing that there is a there is a uh, there is a parallel here. There, there is a continuity here uh, of that the Lord is doing through the work of how he saves and how he works, how he judges, how he is just, how he is loving, and so on and so forth. It applies across the board. These principles are everlasting. And so here he says, I want to go back. I told you I would. Go back to verse 1 where it says, the words of him <coughs> who holds the seven stars. That little, I know it doesn't mean much to you, didn't to me until I started studying it. When it says the words of him, this little phrase right here, uh, I'm not going to get into the Greek, but this little phrase right here actually occurs over 100 times in the Old Testament, 65 times in the book of Ezekiel, I think it's 12 times in the book of Zechariah, and I think eight times in the book of Daniel. But over a hundred times in the Old Testament does this phrase uh, occur right here. Uh, it, it, it's translated here as the words of him, but it, but it actually should be these things of him. These things of him. So he's saying these things, right. So any t- or a lot of the times when a prophet was going to say something, he would say these things he has written or these things of the Lord, or these things have been proclaimed. So this is, this is, this is an announcement, when, when it was used in the Old Testament, this is an announcement that Yahweh is speaking. And when Yahweh speaks, you take it to heart, you write it down, take it to the bank, let it rest on you, and change you so that you are no longer the same, but more conformed to the image of the Son. This is absolutely John's way of saying, Jesus is Yahweh, and when he speaks, you listen. You see, we take that and we say, wow, the same phrase used over a hundred times in the Old Testament to announce that Yahweh is about to speak is used of Jesus Christ talking to the church. So he said, the, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the gold, seven golden lampstands. Now, I'm going to skip over that for a second. I'm going to read some of the body of the letter, and I'm going to show you how that, uh, those attributes actually speak to the problem at hand, okay? Because we've already talked about the seven stars. We've already talked about the golden lampstands. We understand the seven stars to be? Seven churches. And the golden lampstands are the churches as well. But they have different significance because he's holding the seven stars in his right hand. 
which is authority, which is power. He is, uh, he is protecting them. He is holding them. Walking amongst the golden lampstands is the golden lampstands were to be that evangelistic bright light that shines. He walks among them like the high priest walked among the golden lampstands in the uh, outer room and that he tended those wicks. He tended the oil. He tended it so it would be really bright and shining for all to see. Okay, so let's go on. Here's the Ephesus now. He says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. Now, we have this good thing here that's happening, and he is saying, look, I know your works. You're toiling and you're working. So we have a whole sect of people now that says, we don't work for the Lord. We don't work for the Lord. We don't. It's not about work. It's about relationship. It's not about work. It's about relationship. It's not about what you do. It's about who you know. And in one sense, if you understand that one way, yeah, we say amen, amen. But still got to work. <laughs> it's, like me, it's, like my, it's like me saying, Titus, go clean your room. He's like, well, I don't got to do that no more. You love me. I said, I'm about to show you how much I love you if you don't go clean your room. Amen. Right? We don't, we don't say because God loves us, we just stop doing anything. That would be counterintuitive. That, would, that wouldn't make any sense at all. As a matter of fact, Paul said, may it never be. This is crazy. I did not, Christ didn't come so that you can continue on in your sin so that your sin might grow. No, 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 no. Here they are commended for their toil and their patient endurance. So these two coupled together seems like they were working really hard to stay really faithful. Just because we believe and we do. In this church we hold that, 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 that salvation comes by grace through faith alone and that is not of yourself but it's a gift of God. It has nothing to do with you. It's what God's doing in you, okay? But that does not relieve us of our responsibility to work for the Lord and to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We got to have both sides of this coin. So we got to put our hands to the plow and never look back. Just keep on working, right? And we are to work to make sure that we are enduring. We are to work to make sure that our faith is true. Paul says, examine yourself. Mike, where's Mike? Raise your hand. Did I not tell you that this message was, was wild? Dang. I tell you, I have conversations with, I had a conversation with Mike this morning, but I have conversations with myself. I have conversations with many of y'all that, you, that, 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 that we, we want to make sure, man, I, I want to be on fire for the Lord. Did you, you ever just have a little question? I want to have, I want to be on fire for, I said, look, test your faith. Test your faith. Write down a list. And the Bible does say that salvation is by grace through faith, and that's not of yourselves. Amen. So I've got faith that way, I'm pretty sure. But the other side says, if you ain't got the fruit of the Spirit and your life ain't changing, you ain't got it. Faith apart from works is... Okay, well, I believe, I think, but I ain't doing jack. Uh, I might not really believe. Okay, they, 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 they help each other. Okay, so we say, well, I'm doing a bunch of good stuff. I'm feeding the... Feeding the I was about to say feeding the sick. I'm feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, prison ministry. But I don't know what all this stuff about the Spirit is. I don't love, I'm just doing all this because I'm going to put him in a chokehold and make him bless me. Or you might not really be working for the Lord. You might be working for somebody else. So there's a balance in here. And so what we see here is that <coughs> the Ephesians are doing good in this area, that they're working, they're toiling. Uh, and they say, I see, I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil. 
What's that mean? You just don't like evil people. And I don't think that's quite what it means. Let's read it in context. Well, who does he go on to talk about? False apostles, false teachers. So when he says here, you cannot bear with evil people, it's not like that person. They just mean. And so you just don't like them, so you shun them. Some of y'all Christians do that, right? You're like, they ungodly. You need to pray for Miss So-and-so. You know what she did last week? <laughs> they're toiling, they're working, and, and, and they cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. So this is a people, by all, uh, by all understanding of the text to me, that they, they, uh, they're in the word of God, they work hard to uh, make sure that they are enduring, even though the world is coming at them, asking them to, uh, uh, asking them to compromise on the truth. You know, the, 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 the successful mark in the American church is these huge numbers, having these certain landmarks of services and, and, and how many people and, and what type of media do you have, and you're not successful unless you have these things, and even if you got to compromise on the gospel in order to get the people, yada, 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 and so they say, compromise, compromise, compromise. Well, these people wouldn't compromise. They were working hard, actually, not to compromise, because it says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. So they were toiling to endure. And it says, I know that you have no patience. You cannot bear with evil people. Who are the evil people? False apostles and those who teach uh, inaccurate doctrines, uh, who, who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. So here it is. They look, they seemingly, they're in the word. They have understanding of the word. They have right doctrine. They don't, they're not patient with people who are false apostles and false teachers. This is not someone who just... They don't, have, they don't understand the text. They don't really understand, but they won't understand. I've had those people in here too. They, don't, they, they are heretical, but they don't even know that they're heretical. And they're open to be corrected by the word of God. And, and, and they receive that rebuke and that correction, and they can be changed. Others uh, are just absolutely deceitful on purpose. Claiming to be godly, but they're teaching falsehoods, and they're teaching the wrong things. Can somebody get uh, Angie... Thompson from Kidwell, and ask her to come in here. She's going to share a little testimony with us. So they're teaching, and that's the people that says, you can't bear with those people. Is that when somebody rises up, now that's happening here before, we say, hold on a second, where'd you get that teaching from? Can you show me that in the Bible? Now I love you, but you're not going to, you're not going to teach that to the people in here. You see, that's one more responsibility of the leadership in the church and the church body itself, because in Ephesians uh, chapter 4, we see that we are to grow in love, that the church would be able to build itself up. And so I pray that you receive enough doctrine, that you're in the Word, that you are growing fast enough, that you are, if you were to hear false doctrine being promoted within the church, that you would question that. And you would say, hold on a second, where are you getting that from? That's not what I understand the Scripture to teach. That's not what I understand leadership to hold. That's not what I understand that, that we should, that how we should understand that text. Where are you getting that from? And if they can't, they can't reply, they can't give you biblical foundation on, on which they have built their doctrines, then we say, You've either gotta, you either got to stop teaching this or you've got to go somewhere else. Yeah. See, in our society, it's like, don't offend anyone. And I can do this because my wife's in here. And she's like the most compassionate person I know, so she's like worried about offending everyone. But I'll offend every one of you to not offend God. Amen. I really will. I don't really care. Amen. Now, she does, and I try to be easy with her. And she has taught me a great deal because she is my 
Uh, she is my compliment. I believe in complimentarianism. And I, and I take her advice many times because I just say stupid stuff like on Facebook and moochers, you know. <laughs> <laughs> all the moochers just get all tore all to pieces. Oh, sorry. Hey, babe. <laughs> I was saying something. Yeah, so we compliment one another, but, but we don't stand for that. So uh, I, I do, uh, I have learned, I was just telling them how you're so compassionate and I'm just not at all and stupid sometimes and say stuff. But we have really learned, well, I've learned from her, I don't know how much she's learned, but we really learn from each other and we say, okay, I don't need to make the gospel more offensive than it is. That's just, that's really the mark I should try to take. You shouldn't, and you shouldn't either, you shouldn't just make something overly offensive to be offensive. The gospel is offensive in and of itself, and it will offend everybody who doesn't take it and, and love it. Everybody else is actually the stench of death, the scriptures would say. But we do need, see, sometimes as a shepherd, okay, and you're a shepherd to your family, the guys in here, you're a shepherd to your family, sometimes in the name of not offending someone, we overlook we overlook the fact that it's the wolves. It's the wolves that are among us. It's the wolves that because we refuse to offend them, we let them devour the sheep. Sometimes, brothers and sisters, you got to call a spade a spade. You got to go ahead and say, in love, look, I love you, but that ain't right. Look, I love you, but that's going to kill you. Look, I love you, but you ain't doing that in my house. And why would it be any different in the house of God and among God's people than in my house? You think uh, there's a man going to come in my house and start telling my kids something that's not right? No, he's going to get drug out. Amen? Y'all not agree? So we protect God's house, we protect our house, and we don't let that, we don't let that junk go on. Get that junk out of here. So here he says, look, they've done well in this area. He says, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. And they've done a good job at it. They're pressing on, man. They're not, they're not growing tired. They're in the Word. They've got the Word as, a, as an anchor, and they're not backing down. They're not backing down from false apostles, from these so-called uh, Jews, from the Nicolaitans, from all these false teachers. Like, this is where we're standing. We're not moving. We're not moving. But the problem is they had turned internal. The problem is they had turned away from this being a loving relationship into being a professional relationship. Remember that? It says, but, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned, uh, abandoned the love you had at first. So you got your doctrine right. It's like click to clack, clack to click, all in shape. You got your doctrine right. Your bulletins, your points. Man, they're, they're, they're on point. But you're lacking love. You've turned internal. You've turned away from this intimate relationship with, with me, with each other, with the world. And it's become about the rules and regulations. And that's how you determine how you relate to other people. It's funny because Dan and I, 
uh, Dan is a hard, Dan, stand up. This is the hard-headedest man I've ever met in my entire life. <laughs> Amen? Amen. <laughs> but you know what? Now, keep standing up for just a second. But you know what? I love this man right here. He is my brother. And I tell you, any of y'all mess with Dan, you got to mess with me. He's my brother. Now, we butt heads. I don't know whose head's harder. We butt heads. But I love this guy. I really do. You can sit down, Dan. Thank you. We had a conversation the other morning. And it was about, we, we do a revelation study on Tuesday mornings. And it was about a uh, part in revelation that he and I disagreed on the interpretation of the text. And instead of just saying, and I'm going to put this on me right now, I'm going to own this. Instead of just saying, well, that's interesting, Dan. We'll have to talk about that later. I got offended. I got upset. And I, it, it, if you would have been peeking through the door, you would have thought me and Dan was about to have blows or something. And you know, I left that meeting. And I think that the Lord had that happen so that I could a little bit better understand this. I left that meeting that morning and the Lord convicted my heart. He said, brother, did you put doctrinal differences above relational love? And you know, we can, we can even disagree on the closed-handed issues and still show love for those around us. We don't, have to, we don't have to agree with everybody. We can still show love. But the Lord let me see that because, you know, I, I had to tell Dan the next night. I said, Dan, I said, I'm sorry, brother. And here it is. I don't love Dan because he agrees with me. We agree on a lot. But I don't love Dan because he agrees with me. I don't love Dan because of what he can offer me. I don't love Dan because of all the good things that he can do. And he's got some amazing gifts. I don't love him because he's committed to me or anything else. I just love him because he's him. And if Dan was called to another church or if Dan left the faith, not that he's going to, I would love him anyway. I love him. That's just one example. You see, has your doctrinal fortitude or your doctrinal thesis, does it govern your love in such a way that it makes you show contempt and hate. It actually should govern it, but it should govern it in a right way. That should birth passion and longing. When someone disagrees with you, you love them all the more so that you can help them to understand the truth. Which brings me to Angie. Listen to this. <clears throat> but I have this against you. So they have all this doctrinal accuracy. Pop, 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 pop. I mean, clickety clack, clickety click. It says, but I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. We're always talking about those who come to the faith, right? And when they come to the faith, man, it's like they're walking on air. They're telling everybody. They don't have a clue what they're saying, but they're telling everybody. But they don't need to know because, I mean, much. All they got to know is Jesus loves you and wants to save you, and he saved me and set me free. Woo-hoo, right? You're like, what's wrong with these people? No, the question is, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with us? Why are we not excited because we have the same problem as the Ephesians. I see this a lot in my doctrinal circles. You know, I'm on Facebook groups. I have friends I talk to, the people from the university. Keith, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Mickey, you guys, those of you who are not at another level but just at a different place and you've got some doctrinal understanding, a lot of the times everybody's like, I want to get to that place. I want to get to that place. I don't know that you do. I'm telling you, those can be some staunch, rank, Mean old men. 
It really can. And the light of the glory of God and the light of life seems to have been snuffed out, which is exactly what this is saying. What Jesus is saying is that you mean to tell me that you think you understand the doctrine like it should be understood, but your lamp's gone out? These seem to be incompatible, brother. He says, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Here's the solution. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do. Now, this is crazy. Now, I'm reformed. I, I, I believe, I, I just can't even shut up about that. That salvation is by grace through faith. It's not of works. It's of God. It's not works. It's not works. Right? I've just beat this drum. This is the text that, that helps me find balance, one of them. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Should this inform us who think we've got it all figured out? That it's just about this mental ascent to right doctrine and knocking people down because they don't have the mental ascent to the right doctrine? One, okay, now here's just a question. This is not from the Lord as I'm preaching right now, but just a real question from me. Which would be better? Which do you think the Lord would prefer? Hypothetical. A man or woman who has all of his systems worked out who have all of his, his doctrines biblically consistent throughout the Old and New Testaments, who's got the handle on all of his doctrines, but is a mean old wretched jerk who just looks down his nose at everybody around him because they're wrong and he's right. But he's got it right. He's on the money. Could debate anybody and just wear them out. Or the guy who only knows the basics. And he don't know where he's going, but he knows he's going to Jesus. And he's running 180 miles an hour telling everybody. So much so that the guy who knows a little bit more has to say, hold on, wait a minute, slow down a little bit. Let me show you this. He gets that information. He goes, "Woo! I got to tell somebody. Huh? Which one would be more pleasing to the Lord? Now, does that mean that the Lord loves those who have their doctrines all mixed up? No, come on. I mean, he loves them, but he doesn't love that. Amen. Should that lead us to think, well, as long as we love, it doesn't matter what we believe. No, that's stupid too. Because how can you really love if you don't even know what you're loving? Amen. But what it shows us is right here. Angie, can you come up? You didn't know you were going to get some preaching. You came in here you just to talk. But I want you to see this. Remember, therefore, check. Well, I guess I wouldn't know if it was working. Okay, hold on a second. I'll tell you what you. It says, but I have this against you that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Now, 
Here's what I'm going to say. And I saw this. I wasn't even thinking about doing this. I thought about doing this this morning. I know she's not prepared. I grabbed right a kid well and say, hey, you want to give a testimony? So whatever the Lord leads you to say, you can say. But here's, I'll give you a little bit of backdrop of why I even asked Angie to come in here. Several months ago, several months ago, Angie messaged me and said, hey, the Lord's been working in my life. I, I got to get to work for the Lord. I got to get to work for the Lord. And so I said, okay. What do you want to do? I don't know. I got to get word from the Lord. Well, the Lord had brought about a few things, and you can change any of this when you start talking if I'm a little off. It's been a little while. But the, some things had happened, and the Lord had kind of show, showed her where she, could, where she could spill over is the language I'm going to use. Because the Lord had been doing, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, so you correct everything. But the Lord had been, I just saw this too. I've, I've been watching it. But the Lord has put just such a word in Angie's mouth and uh, I see you inviting people on Facebook. I know you do it outside of that too, but inviting and being excited about what God's doing and the love of God and the teaching that's going out and the worship that's going on. And that, see, what, how this relates is, is that when he says that I am the one that has the seven stars in my hand, he says, I'm the one that sets the pace. I'm the one that sets the doctrine. But the one that sets the doctrine is also walking in the midst of the lampstands, tending the wicks. So as I set the doctrine, I'm cranking the oil up. I'm cranking the wick up so it gets brighter. So the doctrine, the great doctrine that's being given from the one who's got the leadership in his right hand, the great doctrine that goes forth should make great light that breaks forth. And that's the love of God. You see, when you love God, Michael was talking about this morning, when you, the test of your true faith and love of God is how you relate to those around you. How do you love? How do you evangelize? How do you minister to? How do you sacrifice for? How do you be selfless around them so that they will see your works and glorify your Father in heaven? How do you say no to self and yes to the Lord in such a way that it affects everyone around you? So, Angie immediately came to my mind. I thought, you know, that's what happened there. Is that, and she don't even know what I was going to say up here, but it's that she heard the Lord through differing ways. She heard doctrine, and this doctrine incited in her this great love for God, which shone itself to the world like a lamp. Does this make sense? Yes? So, I'm going to let her tell you just a little bit about it because two reasons. One, I think it's an amazing testimony of what is being talked about here in Ephesus, of remembering the first thing. And Angie's not a new believer, but I think think if I'm not speaking wrongly is that you're at least a newly revived believer. Uh, so, So this is kind of like fresh for her right now, I think. So that's what this is talking about. Remember that first love that you have. Do those works you had at first. And so in all estimation, you're acting like a new believer, not in your immaturity, but in your love and your passion and your mood. So one, I want to acknowledge that and say, praise the Lord of what he's doing in you. And two, I want to give her an opportunity to tell you about a ministry that she's working with. And I want to be, uh, help you a little bit more in, but I think it's absolutely necessary. And some of you ladies out there could come alongside maybe and help and we'll see where this goes, but she'll tell you a little bit about it. It's a, it's a little bit of, it's a little ministry to single moms and those who don't have anyone with them for differing reasons, but just that they could have some love and support Sometimes financially, a lot of times spiritually, sometimes emotionally, and whatever else. So you want to just tell a little bit about what you're doing and why it happened that way. Okay, so really, I can't believe Brandon gave me a microphone. 
Pray but, for me. <laughs> but when he texts me, you know, he's like, are you going to be at church? I'm like, yeah, what do you want? <laughs> but anyway, so this really caught me off guard, but it's really great that I'm getting this opportunity for the simple fact that I have been wanting this to grow, and it was just something that the Lord just kind of worked through me. Um, it kind of come from being on the moments team. So I went to someone's house and, you know, basically just was giving her a meal. And she just became all over my heart and everywhere. It was just like she was all over me all the time. And I actually contacted Brandon about it, and I really didn't know what to do. So time went on and time went on, and I just kind of brushed it all off. But I had wanted to do something for single moms. You know, I don't know how many of you are single moms, and I'm not a single mom, but I know they all, you know, they struggle with things. Like they want to feel loved. They feel all alone. And they're raising their children by themselves. So um, it's been a process because I wanted to, I had asked Brandon and Heather if I could use the church, you know, trying to get things together and do it the right way, but there just wasn't a right way to do it. So I had a little meeting at my house with two single moms, and which I'm very close to, and don't ask me how it happened because I didn't know them from anybody. <laughs> except for at church, and we just became to be really close, and um, I love these girls. Um, it's hard because you want to fix everything, and you can't. And even Brandon's told me, Angie, if you, if you think you're going to fix it, you know, you're not doing what you need to do because I would go to Brandon, like, how can I fix this? And, of course, Brandon was like, Angie, if you do not lead these ladies to the Lord, you're not doing what you need to be doing. So basically he was telling me, you can't fix this through money. You can't keep patching things up for them, you know, right? Yeah. So basically I just opened my heart up to them, and I've had hard times, and I have went like to Mallory Drake and, and said, Mallory, I just don't know if I'm doing what's right. And I just want to read you all this. Um, and... Mallory can tell you that I've had a hard time. And I got this text this week, and it says, it's so hard for me to read it, but it says, I don't say it enough, but I want you to know how thankful I am to have you in our lives and that I appreciate every more, I appreciate everything more than you know. You support your friendship words of advice and support throughout this journey to growing closer to him are unvaluable, and I thank God for crossing our paths. I hope you have a wonderful and blessed day. We love you. So basically what really hits home is, of course, my support. But to get this text that says this journey to growing closer to him are invaluable. Amen. Amen. So basically, you know, it's not about giving money. It's not about what they're going through. It's not about, well, they should do this or they shouldn't do that. It's about loving them for who they are and helping them to grow closer to him. Amen. Thank you, Angie. I appreciate you. And to, to be quite honest with you, that that's a ministry that the Lord just birthed in her heart. And it's so needed here at the church because I'm just going to be frank and honest with you, like these, these ladies, I, I can't minister to them. Not like that. 
I just, I can't. Um, the scripture is very clear that older ladies should minister to the younger ladies like this and show them how to, how to love their husbands and be uh, the wives that God's calling them to be, how to be moms that uh, raise their children up and love their children like they should, and how to do all these things. I can't meet with these girls one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. I can't. I won't. Uh, that's a policy that we have, actually. But ladies like, like Angie and Mallory and Lana and, and, and Julie and so many of you, so many of you, that that's what the text is talking about. You've seen, you've heard the preaching. You've heard, the, not to say that everything I've ever taught was like money, but you've heard the preaching from the scripture. You've been able to, to, to test it and to search the scripture diligently to, to make sure. And that preaching and teaching is, is, is causing in you a love to come out. And that's what, that's what Jesus is writing to the, the Ephesians. Now, what happens if they refuse to? This, this helps us to understand. So Christ, the one who has leadership in his hand, he has them in his right hand, which is the hand of authority. So he has authority over them so that they are to be answering to Yahweh, Christ, and, and nobody else is also the one that's walking around in the in the in the church is also the one walking around among the lampstands and we know from the tabernacle set up and from the old testament that the that the high priest was the one who went in and he 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 trimmed the menorah wicks and he made sure that they uh, were burning bright so that the table of showbread and the 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 prayers uh, were going up and all these things like Christ is the one who does this guys let me let me help apply this to you and and well let me let me share the warning because there is a warning it says that you need to repent and do the works you did at first if not you will come to he will come to, he says i i will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent why would he say that because a lamp that won't shed light is not a lamp it's a false lamp it's a it's a deceiving lamp. It's a deceptful lamp. It looks like it's going to shed light in the, during the daytime. But at night when the lights go out, you go to turn that lamp on and it won't. And now you're still ever done that? You've been on one side of the room and it's dark and you've, you feel your way over to turn the lamp on and the bulb was dead. So now you're stuck on the other side of the room and you know your, your foot's going to get tore up from the kids' toys on the floor. It's not good for anything. It just needs to be... Either it needs to be taken away or the bulb, the flame needs to be replaced. Dang, I didn't even mean to do that. You know the Holy Spirit is the flame. Don't be removed. You got a question about your faith? Get back to what you were doing. Seek out your first love. He says, yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. The Nicolaitans was a group that was teaching false doctrine and leading people astray. And uh, Jesus plainly says, I hate this. And you know, you hate it too. So I, we're good on doctrine. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep, keep, keep reading the Bible. Keep, getting, you know, keep, keep after the doctrine. But don't let, it, don't let it become an end in and of itself. <laughs> doctrine is to only help us to get to know Jesus better. I love doctrine. I love, I love our, my conversations with, with 
uh, Keith and with, with uh, Mickey and with Dan and Mark and Mike and Randy and all these guys. We talk doctrine all the time. I love it. But I will tell you, there's, there's been times in my life where it was like it was more work reading a historical document than passionately reading a love letter. Passionate re- passionately reading about the one who I love, love. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree in life, which is in the paradise of God. This letter is applicable to all the churches that have an ear. Do you have an ear? Do you have eyes to see and ears to hear? Do you, do you have a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone? Many of you are, are saying, I don't feel, I don't see the Lord. I don't have that first love anymore. And many of you are hearing me speak to the Christians in the room. And you're saying, I need to get back to that, that first love I had. I need to get back. And you were never there in the first place. I know that's hard to hear. But I don't say it to hurt you. I say it to help you and to love you. There are those of you who are sitting here this morning, you know exactly who you are. And you're hearing me say all these things, but it's just words. There's never been a true explosion of his intimacy with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's always just been what you do. It's always just been the motions. You, yeah, you go to church, but you're supposed to. Yeah, you read the Bible, but you're supposed to. Have you ever longed, longed for your first love? Have you ever had an intimate encounter with him where you just, you, you found yourself face down in a, in a puddle of tears because of him? And not sad tears, but rejoicing with, with glory running down your face. A glorious image of the one who died for you. The one who paid the price to win you back. The one who's walking amongst the lampstands. He's here now. He's here now, and he walks among us, and he calls out to us, do you love me? Do you love me? I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to tell you that you got to have all your doctrine right, and then I'll love you. You come and get with me, and as our love unfolds, your doctrines will be corrected. Your ideas will be corrected. Or just cut off. Or they'll grow. The more I come to know my wife, the more I love her. And the more I love her, the more I want to know her. Two sides of the same coin. Now, this is very fitting today. I didn't really know how all this was going to go. But we have baptismal waters right here. Let me ask while we're sitting down and and everybody can be seen really well. Is there any here who need to give Christ, to let him transform your life, who who need to be saved? Are there any here who would, with the lights on in front of God and everybody, say, you know, brother, I need that type of relationship. Yeah, I've had my head right. I've known all the right stuff. But I need the one who loves me. Anyone here? been radically moved on by God this morning for salvation. Anybody? Amy, you want to come up here? Amen. Joey, you can come with her if you want to. 
on up and just stand right here. You want to be baptized today? Praise the Lord. Well, we'll get you the next time, okay? When he moves on you here in a minute. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It don't matter where you've been. It don't matter where you thought you were going. Jesus Christ knows exactly who you are, and he's got a place for you. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Give the Lord a hand. And you know, this really could have been, could have been used as our example because Big Mike, uh, Miguelico Grante, was the one that uh, shared the gospel and, and the love that he had for Christ is uh, seen in his love and evangelism. And now we see what, how the church should operate and praise God for that. Are there any others here who need to be reborn today? Come on, Vance. Praise God. Praise God. Love you, brother. I appreciate you, man, so much. Oh, man. Praise the Lord, man. Anybody else? Hey, the water's right here. Salvation. Today is the day of salvation. Anybody else out there? All right, well, I won't prolong it. If you are... If you're wanting to be baptized today, can you please stand up? Ray, you get still getting baptized today? Come on down. Anybody who's getting baptized today, I know we got a couple of small ones that are going to come too. Jenny, you can come with them if you want to. Brother? Anybody else want to be baptized today? You raising your hand or are you stretching? <laughs> he says, stretching. Okay. We're going to go ahead and do the baptism and then we'll close with our last song. Anybody else before we go ahead and get this party started? All right, we got a couple coming from the back. Mark, can you come and help?
check, check. This is Vance Bailey. We've been friends for a long time, and uh, Vance has uh, been saved. He, he comes today to, to make a profession of faith or a, uh, to, to make a proclamation for everybody before everybody here that he's wanting to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ so that everyone can see that this man belongs to Christ. He's part of the family of God. And so, Vance... Vance Bailey, I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, in the name above every name, the only name given unto man which can save, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. bring a change of clothes or nothing. That's the way we like it. All out or nothing, baby. <laughs> this is Ray Sherbert. Just my mic stand. This is Ray Sherbert. Been friends for a long time. Had her ups and downs and he used to work for me a long time ago and I come to love Ray and, and I've always loved Ray. Considered him a little brother and uh, have tried to pour into him as much as I could and show him love and He's went through ups and downs, and I'll tell you, here in the last couple months, I get months, so he's been coming, and we've been meeting, and we've been talking. I've just seen the Lord move all over this man, and uh, he's come back to the Lord, or come to the Lord, maybe even for the first real time, and he come to me a couple, two or three weeks ago and said, uh, man, I got to get baptized. When are you going to do a baptism? I got to get baptized, and so uh, it's finally here, brother, and so uh, upon your profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Buried with him. Coming this morning also, we've got Cameron Kent and Michaela Kent. And uh, I had the privilege uh, the other Sunday to have them in my office. And uh, I know that I know that I know that I know that they know that they know that they know. They're young, but then it comes to mama's responsibility and the well's responsibility to undergird them and help raise them up that God would be pleased. That did that Cameron would be a man, young man after God's own heart, and Michaela would be a young lady, beautiful, after God's own heart. I want part of this. Where'd that mic stand go? Come on, mic stand. Get back to the work you were at at first. Cameron, a 
upon your profession of faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, the one name given under heaven by which man can be saved, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is Michaela Kent. Smile on her face. What a beautiful time. I was sharing with them. Uh, when I was 10, I gave my heart to Christ. I was in the Presbyterian Church, and, and I got sprinkled. That's the way they did it, okay? And I know Catholics and Methodists and other denominations do that. But I shared with them something that, that I never have forgotten, and, and I pray I never will. I still get excited thinking about the time I, I came a part of London First Baptist Church and I had to be baptized by immersion just like we believe here. And the symbolism, I said, there's nothing magical about this water. This is just what you call good old tap water. But man, the symbolism of the death to your old ways, I told them, and our sins and the death of Christ. And then coming under there and being buried, those sins washed away. And then coming up out of that water, what I tell you? Woo! I tell you, ain't never been the same. And I pray they won't either. This is Michaela. And Michaela, upon your profession of faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father. In the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, the one name given under heaven by which man can be saved. That's the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. out there that wants to get baptized today. Going once. Going twice. So. Guys, uh, we're going to have this last song of worship. I, this was a good day for me. Not because I did everything right, but because you know what I love to see in the preaching? Is when you see the Word of God made manifest among you. And if, we did, if, if you didn't just see the Word of God worked out among the people of God as it was preached, I've never seen it before. That's a church. This is love. These all that got baptized today are examples of the love that Christ spoke of in his letter to the Ephesians. Right doctrine working itself out through the hands of men and women because they love God. Amen? Amen. The Holy Spirit is alive and active, people. He's alive and active. The Holy Spirit made this possible.
So we're going to close out with this last song. Let's stand to our, let's stand to our feet as we worship. Hambone's got one more thing. Just uh, if you are a graduate and you're joining us today, over at, uh, we're going over to the Hare and the Hound. We'll enter from the outside by the sidewalk, Trade Street side, and go up to the upper room, okay? So I'll see you there. Thank you. Let's worship. <laughs>